Well, we'll be in Revelation chapter 3 today. We're going to finish uh, on the church in Sardis. And uh, I'm excited to get to the second part of this letter. Uh, last week we talked a good bit, uh, pretty practically, about what it looks like to actually live. And we talked a lot about the Holy Spirit uh, enabling us through regeneration, that is making us alive. You know, the righteous shall live by faith. Through the Holy Spirit enabling us to come alive, then we can actually live our life like God wants us to live it and like it should be lived. Apart from the Holy Spirit, there is no life. You can't live. You can exist in this world for a little while and, and then uh, it'll be over when the second death comes, but there is no true living. There is no life. And, and to, just a brief uh, kind of recap of what we talked about last week. We talked about that introduction of Jesus Christ that comes out of chapter 1 that he uses here to the letter of the, uh, to the church in Sardis, and he describes Christ in these two ways. He says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. So he is describing Christ in a way of someone who has the Holy Spirit in all of its fullness, in all of his perfection, seven being the number that is representative of fullness or completion uh, or uh, uh, just, just this, this wholeness, this, this, this perfection. And then he says, and the seven stars, who we know the seven stars are the messengers or the angels of the churches, which are those that represent the church. So this is the representative of the people of God. So what he's saying here is, is that Christ is the one who is completely whole in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he is the one who we know from chapter 1 has the seven stars in his right hand. So he has God, he is fully God, and he is fully man. He is the bridge between God and and man, and he is the only way that we can be, that we can down here on this side, on this, on this level, on this plane, can live in accordance with God who is life. Apart from the Holy Spirit, there is only death. And this is why, you know, people say you shouldn't preach hell or you shouldn't preach that type of thing. Well, I don't, under, I don't really understand that because if you don't preach sin or if you don't preach spiritual death or if you don't preach condemnation for anyone apart from Christ, then how can you ever recognize that there's an issue that needs to be addressed by the gospel? So many people in the vein of saying, well, we should never talk about anything controversial as far as sin, hell, death, second death, anything like that. We should completely stay away from that. We should only preach the gospel. We should only preach life. We should only preach love. But what does that even mean without the context? What does it mean to be saved if you have no idea what you need to be saved from? There's no need to be saved if we don't need, know what we need to be saved from. And so Christ shows us a complete picture here. Well, in that complete picture, in this complete fullness of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and having men in his hands, having, having humanity in his hands, we looked last week at him being the one that holds everything together. He then starts to, to speak to the church at Sardis, and he says this. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. 
that word reputation there, it can be also translated as you have a name or you are known by. So this reputation is a reputation is something that you are known by. So it says you have, you have taken on this name of life. You have taken on this image of life. You look like you are alive. You have the reputation of being alive. It says, but you are dead. It's plain and simple, a straight, black and white. You think or you're known for being alive, but you're dead. It's pretty quick. It's, you're dead. So those that would say that we don't ever need to talk about death or sin or rebelliousness or repentance, we, because, you know, that might turn someone away. That, that, that might make someone feel like you're an unhappy preacher or an unhappy person, and, and you're just talking about condemnation all the time. Well, we need to say, well, what do we do with Christ? who speaks this way, or John, or Paul, or Peter, who speaks this way. And, and in speaking this way, they don't ever just leave it there, do they? They don't speak, you know, about the second death or about condemnation as if it's a wonderful thing, but only they speak of it as that which needs to be uh, dealt with, that which needs to be overcome. So we'll get into overcoming too. But he says here, he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but he tells them the truth. He says, but you're dead. You need to realize this so that we can move on beyond this. So you have this reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And so when we start to talk about the salvation and life and, and coming to life, so we move from the Holy Spirit to men who Jesus Christ is the perfect God-man who brings perfection and perfect obedience and the fullness of, of, of God down to the earth, and he sacrifices himself so that it can be transferred to men. And it, we, that happens through the sealing of the Holy Spirit or through rebirth, being born again, through regeneration. This happens when you receive the Holy Spirit. You see, this is a supernatural thing. This is a supernatural thing. So if you want to live, truly live, then you need to be born again. So you're born into this world, and so you have life in the flesh, but it won't last very long. Matter of fact, it's just like a, it's like a, a little breeze. It's like a little vapor or a little... Whew. It's here for just a little while and then it's gone. But there's a second life that once we know Christ and we receive Christ, receive the Holy Spirit, then we come alive again and we come alive in a real way. It was only... The, the physical life is only a picture. This is life in the real way, and we can live according to the Spirit, Romans chapter 8. So as we walk along in accordance with the Spirit, we have this new life, this new source, this new, this new power, this new might, this new wisdom, then we walk and live in different ways. And so this is a supernatural uh, event with practical and physical evidences or repercussions or, 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 or nuances that come out of that. So this is what he's saying. He said, I, I am the one who has the perfect Holy Spirit, and I am telling you that you don't have the Holy Spirit, and because you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have the works that follow having the Holy Spirit. And so we talked last week a little bit about, about having the Holy Spirit and about your life being shaped in such a way that we actually live and move and breathe in everything that we do, and God comes out of that. And, and, and Christ is, is inescapable that you've been transformed by Christ. Here he says that. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So 
one that is this one who is dead here is contrasted or 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 or, or paralleled rather with one who's doing nothing. He is not the, the work of God is not completed in his life. He says one thing and he might do a few things. He for in our culture or in our uh, in our day, in our situation, it may be that. Well, he goes to church every Sunday, or he, he does these good things. Maybe he gives, or maybe he reads, or maybe he could write, or he does a few things, but he's not proven in the end because he's lacking in so many areas. And it, now, is that an effort thing? So we've got to remain balanced. Is that an effort thing? So what, let's say one of you guys are out there, and you're like, well, you got me a little concerned, Brennan. I'm not real sure what you mean. You know, I, I go to church and I and I, you know, I I tithe and I, I, you know, I do all these things. But you've got me a little concerned of whether or not I'm I'm actually a true child of God, because you're telling me, you know, that's that's not enough. Or are there a few other ways that? Maybe I'm not living according to the Word of God. You know, maybe there are some things that I'm not doing. So what are you telling me, Brandon? What are, you, are you telling me to do? To make, is there a checklist somewhere? You know? Uh, okay, well, you name three and you say, well, there's more. And it seems like that's what I'm saying, right? Seems like that's what he's saying. But in John uh, chapter 6, he says, they asked him, they said, what are the works of God? What does Jesus say? He says, this is the work of God that you believe in the one whom he sent. Here's, it's so simple, it's hard. It really comes down to the heart. It really comes down to the heart. I'm not telling you that if you lack, you know, four, five, and six on the list, that you need to do four, five, and six. That's not even what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is, is that you need to examine your heart to see why you're doing one, two, and three. And then why you're not doing four, five, and six. So, so as we examine, so here, here's, here's what I want to, and I've got to move on to the second part of this, but I wanted to reestablish this fairly securely. Those who are truly alive, they have life in them. And they operate out of life. And so they don't operate out of death and they don't operate out of, out of just indifference or duty necessarily or obligation. They operate out of passion and desire and, and longing. So when we look at the Christian life, I would say you could be doing all six things, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. But I would say, yeah, you're doing all these things, but what does your interaction with Christ, what is your intimate relationship with Jesus like? And that's what Jesus said. He said, you know, they came to him and they said, we do all these things. We cast out demons and, you know, all this big list of things. But what did Jesus say? Jesus says, go away from me, depart from me, for I never what? Knew you. Now, what do we know? I've preached it many times in here. What do we know about that word to know or know? Adam knew Eve, and they had a baby. You feel me? So Jesus is like, yeah, you're doing all the right stuff, but you're not getting down with me. You're not interacting with me. You know, so we might say, well, I pray all the time. 
What are you praying and who are you praying to? Do you know him? Do you walk with him? So he's getting down underneath everything. And he said, he's basically saying, if you have life, if you have the Holy Spirit, then you will be in my hand and your life will be flowing out of me and you will be my messenger. You will be uh, brought about to perfection through my righteousness and your life will look a certain way. You, you will be conformed to the image of the Son of God. And so this is what he's saying. Now he, says, now he says, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. So he says, look, you think you're alive, but you're dead. Wake up and put into order. So there's still some time for these guys. There are those who, they're on the fence. There might be some of you in here, you're on the fence. Maybe you even know you're on the fence. Maybe you're asking the Lord, God, what's happened in my life? I don't feel passion. I don't feel excitement. I feel like it's just... You know, it's just going through the motions, and I want to get back there. I want to get back to where we were, Lord. How do I do it? I'm not sure. You know, I hear the preacher preach, and he talks about certainty, and he talks about being a fake Christian possibly and, and examining yourself, and, and I'm all tore up inside. I, I want to know, God. I want to know. I want to know that I'm walking with you. I mean, how many of you want to know? I do. I do. It's, it's, you know, everybody says, well, Christians should never doubt. I'd like to meet that guy. You know? I mean, man, sometimes, you know, we're just overcome with, with the flesh and with the enemy. Just whisper, 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 whisper. And we're going, I don't even know. So what, is, what does he say right after he says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your worship. He says, remember. Remember. How many times in the Old Testament does the Lord remind them and say, what, remember what I did? Remember what I did. Remember what I did for you when, when I set you free from, from Pharaoh. Remember what I did when I turned the sea into blood. Remember what I did when I parted the sea. Remember what I did when I saved every one of your firstborn children by, by showing you how to, how to mark the doorpost. Remember how I killed everybody else except you, except your firstborn. Remember, remember, remember. Does this not uh, seem amazingly parallel and, 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 and take us back to the letter to Ephesians? Remember? What did he say to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus? He said, you're doing good. Your theology's on point. You know, you don't put up with any, any nonsense. You, you're casting out the false teachers, but you've got, I've got one problem with you. You've left your first love. <coughs> you've left your first love. He's telling them essentially the same thing. He says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Keep it and repent. I have, I have people come to me all the time, and they're just tore slam up. I've got all this... I've got all these things I'm dealing with. I've got this sin in my life. I, I don't even know if I'm a believer anymore. I, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. And I say, repent. Just don't do it anymore. Go back to where you were. Repent. Just repent. But, but, but. No, no. Just stop. But you don't understand, isn't it? No. Just stop. You say, what's the big secret? Just stop. 
Y'all don't, y'all don't believe that, do you? You don't believe that, do you? What sin is so powerful that it has power over the cross? You say, you say, I got sin in my life that I cannot stop. Well, then the question is different. Do you have Christ? You see where he's going? That's a different question altogether. If you have sin in your life that you cannot stop, then the gospel has not been made manifest in your life. You don't have the spirit. Because there's no sin that has power over Christ. You're not operating in the gospel. You're not operating in the spirit. If you were, if you had the Holy Spirit, now you have been enabled through the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to sin and yes to Christ. And this is the reality. You may need to examine yourself, to examine your heart, to see whether or not you be in the faith. I'm telling you, it's that simple. I am telling you that if you are a child of God, and many of you, I think, just need to be released into this truth, is that if you are a child of God and you have the Holy Spirit, then you have the ability through Christ, not through the flesh, but you have the ability through the power of the cross and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to say, no, no. I will not do that today because that's not who you are. It's not who you are. So many of you, I say, well, just stop. Oh, no, Brandon, it's not that simple. The situation may be more complicated, but it is. I mean, I'm just, he says, keep it and repent. That's just the Bible. I just read it. I don't. It says, you got all these things. He tells them, he says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. So wake up, put, put what's left uh, into order, put what remains and is about to die into order, strengthen it. I have not found your words complete. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. And then he has this strong warning here. And this is powerful right here. And there's a lot of misconception about this verse too. So let's, you know, real quick recap on that. You think you're alive, but you're dead, okay? He says, for those of you who are on the edge, you need to repent. Stop that. Stop that. And go back to what you had at first so that you would have assurance. You say, I want to be assured. How are you assured that you obey? By this we know that we have come to know him, the one that keeps his commandments, Right? And the commandments are not burdensome. You see how oh, it just, woo, right? So if you're a true child of God, it's not to say that sometimes you won't have to do what David said and said. David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. He was commanding his own soul, you know? He was looking at his soul and saying, Why are you downcast? Why are you down there? You shouldn't be down there. Get up and bless the Lord, O my soul. Sometimes you got to do a little bit of that too. But in general, those who love Christ have the Spirit of Christ living in them. And it's not, it's not like it's a, you don't have to go down a checklist. Loving Christ is obeying the commandments. That's just what it is. So he says, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. So stop going that way and go this way. Stop going that way, go this way. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come against you. 
Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. We'll get to that in just a second. He says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. You know, I remember hearing people talk about the thief in the night verse many times uh, when I was younger. And uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know anything uh, about the parable or the church or the, the Bible or anything. I just remember hearing this, and it was, it was terrifying, right? Uh, it, it was, it, 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 I didn't really know what to think about it, but the way it was always portrayed to me, I don't know if it was just a wrong understanding of who was portraying it or if they, you know, just made something, I'm not really sure, but, but it was always portray, portrayed to me, and it might have just been how I was understanding it, but it was always portrayed to me that the thief, that, that the, this being snatched up was a good thing. I always thought of it as a good thing, so I guess it'd be like the the rapture. Some people believe in a rapture. And I thought, that, I thought that they were paralleling that with the thief passage, that the thief would come. But see, that doesn't even make any sense as you say it, right? So we just got all jacked up on this idea. But I thought when, when, when they, you, you came and you got snatched up, then you would come, get snatched up, and there would be some people standing around, and they were left down here, and that was the bad thing. And the other guy was snatched up. That was a good thing. Now, that's a picture of what some believe is the rapture. The rapture is a whole other idea, and we can talk about that another day. But that is not what the thief par- par- parables are talking about at all. But what they're talking about is someone who is not ready, the thief coming in and destroying them. Listen to what he says. And this is also in Matthew chapter 10, the allusion, this is allusion to Matthew ta- chapter 10, but he says, he says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. So if you remember the parable in the gospel, it says, if the guy would have known what time the thief was coming, he would have prepared himself, and he wouldn't have been ready, and he would, he would have been able to withstand him. But Jesus here says, look, if you don't wake up, if you don't, if you don't get this stuff in order, if you don't repent, so man, how many people, okay, some of you are included in this. I've been included in this. So many people say stuff like this. They say, well, Jesus Christ is love. And, and he loves me. He's going to forgive me. Yeah, but you got sin in your life. That, like that sin right there sitting beside you that you keep partaking in. Yeah, as they pick the sin up. Yeah, but he loves me. He's gonna, he, he won't hold this against me. Well, I can continue on in my sin. I can continue, I can continue to do these things that I know Christ hates and Christ died for. I can continue on into these things because God is love. And he will forgive me. Amen, Courtney. God is love. But but here is a stern warning for those who are walking in one direction. Okay? Now, we need to be all ears here because the the Jesus you worship may not be the Jesus of the Bible. I'm just saying, okay? So we've got, this is is John saying what Jesus told him to say. So we've got this this guy, this girl, who has the reputation of being a, a believer, okay? They got this reputation. So you can put Christian across their chest, all right? And they're walking along. It got everybody fooled. Everybody fooled. Right? Walking along. Jesus comes along. He says, what's that say? He reads, Christian. He goes, yeah, right. Christians are walking that way. But you're walking this way. That, you're not a Christian, but the Christian tells Christ, yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. Well, what, what do you mean you are? Well, you're forgiving. 
But Jesus then says, listen, I am forgiving, but I'm also just. And I'm telling you right now that you are not who you think you are. See, everything points in the text that they were probably convinced too. Many commentators suggest that they had convinced themselves that they were believers. But Jesus is standing and saying, look, you're walking this way, which tells me you are not alive and that you are not of me. And if you continue to walk that way, there remains no sacrifice for you. There remains no forgiveness for you. And it will be wrath. And I will come like a thief and you will be destroyed and I will take you and everything that belongs to you, and it will be utterly destroyed. He says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Everybody knows, well, probably everybody here knows what repent means. It means to turn away from, to turn in the exact opposite direction and go the other way. So for this person who has this label of Christian, it's not like it's over. It will be over. It will be over, but it's not like it's over yet in this letter because this guy, this girl who's got Christian written across and they're walking along, there's still time at this point in the letter to see Christ and to remember who Christ is because at one point, maybe, just maybe, they did have an encounter with Christ and maybe they did see him in all of his glory and maybe they can remember that and say, oh my goodness, repent and turn the other way before it's too late. He says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. You know, so many people, I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but so many people, and I, I hope this isn't you. I know in a crowd this big, there's some of you who aren't living for Christ. You're not, you're not sold out. You're not born again. You've heard, you know, you've heard of Jesus for a really long time, but you'd, you'd say, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. And I ask you one question. Do you love Jesus Christ with all of your heart? Do you talk to him every day? Do you walk with him every day? Do you want to know him more? You think I'm condemning you? That's not me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And I'm doing it for your own good because I don't want to see you stand before him. And he say, get out of here, right? Here's, here's the deal. It says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. You will not know what? You will not know what hour. What does this mean? What does that mean? It means that all of you and me or whoever else, it means that any person that would say, I will repent of that tomorrow, has no idea what the, what the Bible teaches about life. Because the Bible's very clear. Those of you who say, I will do this business or that business, do you not understand that it's God who holds tomorrow? You should say, if God is willing. We have no idea if it will not be that breath you took just now could have been your last. And I'm not trying to scare you. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not trying to threaten you. I'm trying to open your eyes to the reality. Because many of us, many of us, we put off loving Jesus or repenting of a sin or, or doing the right thing. We put it off until tomorrow, until tomorrow, until tomorrow. What happens if tomorrow doesn't come? He says, you're not going to know. That's why you've got to live ready right now. And isn't that what all the letters are about? 
Isn't that what all the letters up to this point are about? I mean, look at the letter to Ephesus or Pergamum or Smyrna or Thyatira. Look at all these letters. He's saying, he's saying, you need to live according to who Christ is in the present situation that you're in. And you need to use it to the glory of God. He says, you're not going to know what hour. But then he says this, and this is a, this is a ray of hope in this kind of, you know, kind of hard letter. He says, yet you have still a few, yet you still have, uh, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. You still have a few names. Now, this idea of names has been cropping up in this letter and in several places in Revelation, but this idea of a new name. Now, when a, when a child comes into a world, let's take this idea of name and let's kind of just open it up a little bit. When, when, when a child comes into the world, what do you do for that child? Well, you do it, you know, even, even when the child is conceived in the womb or when the child, when, you know, when you know you're having a child, what do you start doing immediately? Or you might even do it before you have a child in anticipation of a child. What do you do? Start picking out names. Now, some people just pick names because they're cool. And some people, you know, that's whatever. I, I would suggest if you're going to have a child, pick a name with meaning. Pick a name with meaning, you know? But that's, you know, just what, that's from me. Okay, no extra charge. But we do. We're all, we're all consumed with a name. We're concerned with a name, right? We want a, we want a name. And, and we pick a first name. But what name is given automatically? The last name, which is the representative name of the, huh? Father, the family. You know, the father is the head of the family. He is a representative, the patriarch of the family. So that the, that's why everybody gets last. And, and you, you'll notice our culture is going away from that, right? If you're in here and you're under the sound of my voice and you want to do the cool hip thing and you don't want to take your husband's last name, please don't marry him. Please don't do that. Don't emasculate that man like that. The reason that you get his name is not so he can dominate over you. No, it's because you're becoming one. And it is a recognition of, the, of, of male headship and, and that husband who will be there to provide for and love and protect. And that's not to diminish the role of a wife or whatsoever. But, but that's what you want is a strong, you want to take his name. Anyway, that was a little side road there. But that, that name carries a lot of weight. That name carries a lot of weight. In many instances, you are marked out. Now, Christ can set us free from this reality. Okay, he did me. In, in many ways. But your name will oftentimes, before you're even born, declare who you're going to be. Unless something changes. Okay? Now, I want to use my name for just a second. In my family, and mom, you might be able to correct me on this. I think I'm right. We've never, to my knowledge, had anybody who's went to college and graduated. Nobody, nobody that I know of in our immediate family with a poor name has graduated from college or on the McClure side, uh, either one really, but, but the poor name. So that was something that the Lord did. I was not headed in that direction, but God changed that to now hopefully we can start having some poor graduate from college. Did the same thing. Jonathan's back in the sound booth. He's a poor Hopefully his, his whole routine's changing too. The, the stars have changed if you've ever seen a night's tale. But this name carries so much weight and so much power. 
Because there's so much wrapped up in a name. And what you do with your name absolutely matters for your children. And that's why when we come to Christ, he gives us a new name, right? He gives us a new name. In the Old Testament, when you see Jacob and you see Abram, Abraham, and you see all of these different ones who received what? New names. This is another sermon for another day too, but that's why I believe that at, at Peniel, when Jacob wrestled with God and Jacob's name was changed to Israel, I believe that was the point of recognition of him being a child of God. Now, as we'll see here in just a second, we can debate when one becomes a child of God because what this is going to say is that, well, yeah, they were written there before the foundations of the world. Get into that in just a second. But here's my point. Here's my point. It's, it's crazy how the word flows. It's an evidence of it being written by the hand of God, if you ask me. But here he is saying, now you take these biblical threads, okay? Here he is saying, Jesus Christ, who has the seven spirits, he has the spirit of God living in him. What he did on the cross established who he was from eternity past. His resurrection, his exaltation, it established who he, he had always been. And in that, we are able to receive his name and be born into the family of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit by rebirth. You see it? So we are one way in the flesh. We experience Christ. We believe in him. We have faith in him. We receive the Holy Spirit in new birth. It is symbolized by the baptism and coming out of the water. You must be born by the water and by the Spirit, by the water and by baptism. So this is symbolic of, of being born again. Jesus Christ tells uh, the teacher, he says, you, you must be born again. He understood about birth, but he didn't understand about spiritual birth. He's like, what, you want me to climb back up in my mama? I'm not sure what. But he was speaking of new birth, being born into the family of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 says that you have not received a spirit of slavery that leads to fear again, but a spirit of adoptions as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So he had this picture of a newborn baby being born in the power of the Holy Spirit going, Abba, right? Running to the world, right? That was, that was the most beautiful time in all my baby's lives just about. One of them, it was like on edge when Titus was born. It was forever before he cried, and, and me and Heather both, Heather was kind of out of it, but me, you know, I was kind of out of it too because of what was going on with her, but, but we were just waiting on that cry. Waiting on that cry, waiting on that cry. And when that baby cried, you know that baby was born, and you know that baby was my baby, and that baby had my name. And it won't ever change. It won't ever change. You see how he walks down through this passage and he says, those who have the Holy Spirit will live a certain way. They'll be conformed to the image of the Son. You know, my, my, my kids, they walk around like me. It's so weird. It's so weird. Like, you know, my, my four-year-old, I'll, I'll, I'll be walking along, and, and I'll look behind me, He's not looking at me. He's just looking at where my feet go to step in the same places. You know, sometimes it's cool. Sometimes it's, it's not because I need to go to the bathroom or something. I'm like, leave me alone for a second. But, but he, he like, he'll, like if I stop and I put my hand up somewhere, he'll oftentimes he'll stop and looking at me like even how I put my arms or what I'm doing. You know, sometimes I'll be like this and I won't even be paying attention. I'll look over at my son and, and he's looking at me like this. And I'm like, stop, that's weird. But, but he want, like, he, like, he's like me, you know, and that's, that's what this is all about. I want to take a second to say that's what this is all about. We make it so complicated, you know. Well, we got to do all this stuff and all this stuff and church and, 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 and repent and, you know, churchies, language, blah, blah, blah. 
Are you a child of God? Some, some people think everybody's a child of God. Ain't wrong. Those who are children of God, they look like God, they walk like God, they talk like God. And when they fall, God breaks out the belt and gets them back in line to walk like God, talk like God. You feel me? Does that make sense? And that's what he's saying. If you ain't walking like the Lord, if you ain't walking like God, you need to check your status. Turn around, start walking the other way, or get a new name. Well, he says, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, uh, for they are worthy. Now, here we have some who have not crossed that line. We have some who have not soiled their garments, it says. Well, in the scriptures, this, this, this thought of soiling, this thought of making something appear is, is really most of the time parallel with the, with the thought of idolatry, which makes sense since this whole series of letters have been talking about not compromising with the present culture and, and getting into the idolatry and the idol worship of these cultures, which if you remember, we've talked many times about if you were unwilling to compromise with idolatry in the culture, the worship of false gods, then many times what it meant was is that you were cut off from local trade guilds or being able to do business in the, in the centers or squares and things like that. So if you wouldn't compromise and if you wouldn't enter into to, to, to the worship of false gods and false idols and emperor worship, then you, was, you were ostracized. You were cut off. You were, you were set aside. But he says some here, what he's saying is... Some here, they have gone that route. They have gone that route. They have chosen to, to, be, to, to, to be known by the name of Christ. They have chosen to be cut off uh, from uh, trade and, 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 and these, these different types of economic uh, situations that would really help them out. They have, they have chosen rather to be known uh, for Christ and walking with Christ. And they say no to the world. They said no to the world. You see the contrast here. Some, they have the reputation of, of being Christ, being alive, being like Christ, but they're, 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 this is only a facade. This is only a facade. Underneath it all, they don't really have the Holy Spirit. They're not really alive. They need to turn and do what? They need to turn and be more like these guys who have been washed in the water of the Word, who have been uh, born again in the power of the Spirit. He says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. They have not compromised with the culture. They have not given in to the culture. They have uh, stayed true to Christ. It says, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, one thing that was very interesting here to me is, is that all of this is present tense language. Because many times in Revelation, it speaks of the white robes. And what did white robes mean? If you remember from days past that we've been teaching, white is purity. And this white robe is being clothed in purity, which we know that the perfect will, I mean, the imperfect will put on perfection, that we'll be clothed in Christ. And many times the book of um, Revelation has seen it only as an eschatological or an end times book that speaks of what will happen way out there, right? But, but many times in the, in the letter, what, he's, what he, he uses this language of what's going to be true out there has already been inaugurated right here. It means it's already, been, it's already begun right here. And so I want to encourage you, see, because a lot of the times we have this reputation of being alive because we want the good things at the end, but we don't live according to Christ because we want to partake of the fleshly desires here and now. 
And many, many times that happens because of a misunderstanding about what it means to live for Christ right now. Let me, let me explain. Many times when I talk to someone who is considering Christianity, okay, or someone who is not really a Christian but they claim to be a Christian, I'm not making a judgment, I'm just looking at the evidence. They say things like this. Well, I do want to go to heaven. Well, who, do, who wants to go to hell, right? They say, let me, okay, I shouldn't have said that. They say, I do want to go to heaven, and I, I do believe in Jesus, but I would like to live my life right now. And one day, when I'm older, and I've had all my fun, I'll go to Jesus. Now, they don't say it exactly like that, but you notice what they mean. What else could they mean by, well, I'd have to give up all my friends? Why would you have to give up all your friends? Because all my friends are dope heads and potheads, and they do sinful things, and they like for me to do them too, and I like to do them with them. Okay, so you need to give those friends up anyway, you know? But, but this is what I said. Well, I don't want to give up all my friends. Well, I don't want to give up all my, all my activities. I want to be able to go and live and have fun. You see it? I want to be able to go and live and have fun. And if I come to Christ, there's no living and there's no fun. You see it? You see, that's the truth up underneath it. Now, they, they hide that in a, well, I'm just youth, this stupid American idea of adolescence that lasts 30 years. That guy needs to be smacked. Brody, if you ever move back home, me and you are going to have to talk, okay? No, just kidding with you, kind of. This idea of American adolescence, you just got to extend it all the way out as far as you can. And when you're 30 and you're underwear in your mama's basement and you're playing online, you know, it's just crazy. And if you're that guy and I offended you, good. He says, you have some here who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white. Here's the truth. He says, you have some here who haven't soiled their garments. This is a possessive uh, right here that says they already got the garments, right? I mean, if they didn't have them, he couldn't say, well, you haven't soiled them yet. Or the, otherwise, the response would be, well, yeah, well, I ain't got them yet. But, but seemingly, they, they have received these garments in some way, shape, form, or fashion. I do believe that there will be a, 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 a fulfillment, a, a grand um, uh, completion of all these things. I think Romans chapter 8 teaches that, that, that when we receive our full adoption as sons, okay? But but what, the push or the drive or the, the, the flavor here is that this, this walking in white and this purity and this, this life, it's not something that's just out there, but it's something that's already begun right here. And someone that says, why? I don't want Jesus yet because I want to live. They have no idea what they're talking about. Because you can't live without Jesus. You can die great. And it might be a heck of a time dying. Now, I've, I've talk, I've, many people talk about they're scared uh, to, to I climb trees for a living. They're scared to climb trees. They would never you know, go skydiving or bungee jumping or anything like that because they're scared of falling. No. People fall to have fun. It's the hitting the ground that's the problem. <laughs> right? So I want you to think about that for a second. Those people who jumped out of that plane, they're having a ball. They're on their way to death unless something happens to catch them. 
you can have fun straight all the way to hell. And you say, well, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, well, maybe tomorrow. Well, we've covered that too. It's a misconception. It's a misunderstanding. That's why when I, when I evangelize, well, not all the time. I can't make a general sleep like that. But many times when I evangelize or when I'm, when I'm talking to somebody about Christ, I'll talk to them about sin. But I want to I really make a point to talk to them about passion. Uh, there was a quote by Jonathan Edwards. He said that, uh, I have, it's been a while since I quoted it, but he said something to the effect of, I'll paraphrase. He said, some people talk so much about uh, stopping these worldly passions. They talk so much about, about stopping this and stopping that and stopping this and stopping that. But I want to focus on what you get to start with Jesus Christ. John Piper says the problem is not passion. The problem is not desire. The problem is that we're too easily preoccupied with desires that are silliness. He said it's like a, it's like a child having a mud pie feast in the alleyway when there's, a, when there's a banquet on the beach around the corner. The problem's not passion. I'm telling you right now, you've never truly lived until you've lived in Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen, Amen I'm telling you. He says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis. People have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. You see, they are, they've received their garments. This is not saying that they are worthy in such a way that they have, they have in and of themselves become worthy because of their walking in white. But we already know that you receive the robe when you've overcome through the Lamb. And so this is talking of people who have already received a new name, who have already received their robe, who have already received their inaugurated robe. I'll say it that. That's my language. It's okay. They, they've already received the, the front end of this, which is the Holy Spirit, which secures and seals them for the day of redemption. And they've began their journey. They began walking this walk in Christ. And they've not soiled their garments because they are worthy. But the only reason they're worthy is because he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so he is our worthiness. He is our righteousness. And through Christ, we walk in a worthy manner. We do through Christ. He said, he continues on, he says, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and, will never, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. We'll end on this section right here. He gives, he gives us another powerful uh, um, statement of conquering. So he's, he's already said it in one way. He said, those who have not soiled their garments and uh, they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. This is, a, this is an overcoming. This is, an, this is a contrast to those who have compromised and they've been overcome by the world and by idolatry and they've been sucked into all this thing. When he says, yet there are some who haven't soiled their garments, he's saying they've conquered through me, they've conquered. Through the Spirit, the seven spirits I have. They've conquered, and they've not been conquered. Here he says it in a more positive way. He says the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and will never blot his name out of the book of life. Let's look at the first part of that sentence. That word thus there is held by the commentators that I've read, and I think they're right. That word thus is connecting this with the previous verse that we just talked about, about those who conquer in Christ and who have not compromised and started to uh, give in to idolatrous worship and therefore have not soiled their garments. He says, 
He says, these are the people, these are the ones who do not compromise in Christ and who do not give in and who are empowered by God to walk in a certain way. It is these who will receive white garments and who, uh, and, uh, who will never have their names blotted out of the book of life. So we've, we've seen that. Those who conquer, they walk like Christ. They have white garments. Uh, it started now, but it will be completed then. We, we understand that, right? Are you with me so far? If you conquer through Christ, you'll be pure and you'll walk like Christ. Does everybody understand that? This is yes, this is no. This is I'm asleep. Listen to what he says now. He says, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Now, this, this is a very misunderstood, in my opinion, is a very misunderstood verse. Because what many people do in this verse is they take the negative here when he says, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. They take that to mean that there are some names that are blotted out of the book of life. Well, I mean, naturally reading this, would you kind of think that? He said, well, I'll never blot his name out. Seems to imply that there are names that are blotted out. But is that what he's saying here? I don't think it can be. Let me tell you why. One, there is never a threat of the loss of salvation in any other letter. Never. There is always a warning that you were never in the presence of God, that you were never walking with him and you didn't have the name. Hence, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. But I want to read, and I've got a reason I'm doing this. I want to show you. If you want to turn over with me, or I'll just read it. Revelations 13, 8. This same book is spoken of a few different times in Revelation and, and elsewhere too. But listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 13. I want, I want you to see this. this. This, I want to set this up just a hair. This will serve as encouragement and power assurance and passion and motivation for all, for all of those of you who are truly children of God. Okay? Listen to what he says. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Listen to this. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Let me read that again. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Who will worship it? Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world. When? Before the foundation of the world. So there are names that are in there before the foundation of the world and there are names that are not in there before the foundation of the world. And it says everyone whose name is not written in that book before it ever started. They will worship and they will fall. Their names are not written by the, before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now, turn with me to 17.8. 17.8. We'll start in uh, 
verse 7 or 6, 6b. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is not to come. Here again, the same issue is that there are names that are written in this book from the foundation of the world. And it are those who are not found in this book, who are not true believers of God, who are not true children of God, that they will fall. They will because they love evil and they will pursue evil and they will pursue the enemy. But what, what, what is the other side of that? Turn with me one last time before we go back to three. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. I want to know what book what book are you in I want to know who do you know I want to know what's your name I want to know how do you walk I want to know who do you love I want to know where are you at I want you to examine yourself and not be so worried about lunch or tomorrow that you don't take the time right now to examine where you are because it has eternal significance Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead. Here's the judgment, okay? They're standing before the Lord. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. That's a, that's a different book. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. So you have books and the book of life. These are two different books. Listen to what he says. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Listen to this. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, let's use that. To put this in context, we have books that will be open to judge those uh, who are dead, those who uh, will answer for everything that they've done. And then there's another book, the book of life. And we know that there are names that are not written in there but before the foundation of the world. We know that there are names written in there from the foundation of the world. And listen to what he says again. Now with that information, listen to what he says about the book. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. It's always been there. It will always be there. It will not be removed. No one can remove it. No one can take you out of my hand. That I will hold you. I will move you. I will be everything that you need in order to maintain who you have been called and destined to be in Christ. Let me tell you right now, child of God. I know there are some of you who are, who are stumbling back right now. And you're afraid you're going to fall. Let me tell you, you fall into his arms. 
He won't allow it. It can't be overcome. They can't nobody snatch you out. Those of you who are true children of God and you've given your life to Christ and you've been born again, it cannot be taken away from you. Your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundations of the world and nobody can bring a charge against God's elect. Nobody. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who? Who is the one who condemns? It is he who justifies. Who's the one who's going to condemn? It was Christ that died. Rather, it was Christ who was raised. And if Christ is raised, then you have nothing to worry about. Amen? Nothing. Let's stand to our feet. Now, to end it all, I want to read the last little bit. As the lights come down, I want you to just listen to this. We've talked about this name. We've talked about having life and having the Holy Spirit. We talked about those who uh, have their names written in the, the book of life shall never, never fail because it is Christ who is holding them. It is Christ who is overcome. And nothing Nothing will separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so we look at this beautiful, beautiful truth. And then we hear Jesus say, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Do you hear that? I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. Now, I just read you Revelation 21 of that great day before the throne. And there's these books opened. You can picture it if you want as a, as a movie screen. There's these books opened and, and everyone will be judged according to what they've done. I'm open to discussion on this, but I don't take 21 to, to remove those who are believers from those books. I think they're in those books too, but I think they're the only ones in the book of life. And here's, here's my picture of that is that when we stand before the throne, there will be books opened and everything will be laid bare. Every thought you've ever had, every, every, everything you've ever taken that wasn't yours, every lie uttered, every lustful, disgusting thought that you've ever had, everything will be laid bare, every sin committed, everything will be read aloud for all to hear. And some, the gavel will slam. Guilty. Away with this man. Because his name wasn't written in the book of life. But then there's one that comes. They read off all this horrible, despicable, just filth. And then they compare it with the book of life. That man's name is in the book of life, though. And we have Christ, Christ in the flesh, Christ, Christ, the one who died for you, that you might receive the Spirit and receive a new name. We have Christ who is there. And he says, wait, wait, that one's mine. Wait, Courtney, no, that one's mine. Wait, Father, Father, that one's mine. And he calls your name? What? Father, that one's mine. And he calls your name? Man, you received a new name. That's good. I will confess his name before my Father 
You know, your whole life you've been told to confess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All who confess the Lord Jesus and believe. You see, you've been told to confess. You've been told to confess. But you know what that confession leads to? Jesus confessing your name before his Father. You confess Christ's name before the Father and you're born again. And in the end, he'll confess your name before his Father so that you might enter into glory. That's good. I don't care who you... Well, that's good for all of you whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. I tell you today, you say, well, who is that? If the name's already written, how do we know? Who is that? Whosoever will can come. Whose name's How do you know if your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life? How do you know if your name's written in the Book of Life? How do you know? If you'll come up here today believe in the Lord Jesus, repent and be saved, you'll know that your name was there. Repent today. Repent. Confess your sins before a holy God. Receive a new name. Be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, not just some profession of faith. Man, get that junk out of here. Be born again to live in the newness of life, to, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, to be set apart, a holy nation, a holy priesthood. I'm not telling you some convenient little fan. I'm telling you, if you want to have your life wrecked, turned upside down, flipped inside out, and you want to be a new creation, Jesus Christ is in that business. He's in that business. Some of you got some sins you've been holding on to for a long time, you just... You don't think you can overcome them? Well, I just simply ask, are you a child of God? And if the answer is, yeah, I'm a child of God, well, then repent. Repent. Be done with it. Let's move on. Let's move on together. And let's push towards Christ. Those of you who don't know Christ, you've been convicted today by hearing about those who have a reputation of being alive, but they're dead. Is that you? Is that, that's why we preach the whole counsel of God. I don't know how to preach that otherwise but it was in a text and now it's in your ear hopefully it's in your heart do you have a reputation of being alive but you're dead that's that's between you and God I don't know where you are but if that's the case the Word of God says remember where you were at first keep that and repent many of you need to repent many of us need to repent Many of you need to be born again. I leave that with you. That's between you and God. I love you so much. Please pray for me. My battle's real too. I'm trying to continue to keep my eyes focused on Christ and not be overwhelmed with anything in this world to love my wife and to love my kids and to love you and to balance my time and to stay in the Word of God and to stay passionate. We need each other, guys. Amen. We need each other. We got to pray for one another, love one another, encourage one another. Lots of different things. And so today I offer you that encouragement. Look, if you're a child of God, can nothing take that away? Nothing. But live like, live like you're a, a believer who's received the amazing, powerful, unfathomable Spirit of God. And let's repent. And let's live as if we were living for Christ. We're open up here if you want to come and let me pray with you or whatever. Do business with God where you are. Let's do business with God today, okay? Love you guys.